Chapter 3, Part 2, The Second Ceremony Later that day, I woke from a long nap to hear the facilitators deep in conversation in the next room. There were no ceilings on the dorms, only drafty rafters and thatched roof, so I could make out every word. Some of the retreat participants were requesting a second ceremony they wanted to go back in. I had absolutely no desire to ever drink ayahuasca again. But, as I listened to the facilitators debating this proposal, I formed an idea of my own. Maybe I could go back into ceremony, but this time not drink. All I really wanted was to be able to hear the medicine songs. During the ceremony, I'd been so physically destroyed, I couldn't keep the melodies intact. I kept losing focus, pulled away by my physical discomfort. I knew the power of the Icaros, the medicine songs, would be enough to transport me across the veil, as they say, into the realm of spirit, into a transcendental state of consciousness. Only this time, I'd be able to enjoy it, to learn from it. Those men were magic, and I knew I was capable of holding their medicine. This wasn't hubris on my part. It was practice. I'd been crossing the veil for over a year with my chakra healer, Jenna. Lying on her massage table in Kailua, I'd experienced past lives as a powerful empress in China, as a petite and fiercely loyal wife of a Great Plains warrior. I'd been turned into the Tree of Life, an archangel with massive wings. I had levitated and learned how to bend sound. Admitting these things publicly makes me want to drive to the nearest ER and check myself in for a nice long rest. None of this makes any logical sense, even now. But every time, there's been a witness in Jenna, someone to confirm the visitations and spiritual phenomena. The spirits of Clayton and Kevin are as real to Jenna as they are to me. Christian had said, I hadn't come to the jungles to ask about my career, and that was true. But it was also true that I had not flown all the way to Peru to spend the night vomiting and shitting myself, unable to truly experience the full power of those men. I wanted another chance to cross the veil, sober this time. I yelled over the top of the wall, Could I go back in, but not drink? Is that possible? There was a long pause. Then I heard Reyes answer, I'll ask Christian. Apparently, mine was a strange request. To sit in ceremony and not drink was not the way things were done. Christian wanted time to think, and by lunch, there was still no answer, so I ate a little something. Maybe there would be no need to fast that day. After lunch, everyone gathered in the ceremonial hut to process the first ceremony. Kez lay in my lap like a purring panther as I rubbed his back and we listened to the struggles and visions of our peers, what they'd seen, what they'd been told to do, how they suffered, what they had learned from their suffering. Then it was my turn to speak, and I addressed Christian directly. I told him that when the first ceremony began, I opened my eyes and saw malicious spirits entering the hut through a portal in the ceiling, materializing like dark clouds. Then I heard his whistle, 
and saw the pure light of love shoot from his lips like a lightning bolt, obliterating those negative energies. I knew we were safe and protected, and I should probably just close my eyes and not watch anymore. It was better not to know. Christian laughed with recognition. I continued by saying that after I closed my eyes, I heard the warriors in the yard, an army of ancestral shamans, warriors and protective spirits circling the hut, singing songs of protection, shielding us from harm. I thanked Christian and the other curanderos for guarding us during our journey. I bowed in gratitude, and Christian acknowledged me with a quick nod. Then it was Keza's turn to talk, then around the circle, then the facilitators each spoke, and this continued for probably another two hours, during which we all began to fade, needing more rest, hydration, and food. I'm pretty sure Kez fell asleep in my lap. Finally, we all dispersed, and as we headed back to our beds and feeble showers, our translator Roger pulled me aside. Christian says you can sit in ceremony tonight. I nodded happily. That was good news. Oh, my friends, be careful what you wish for. Only six of us chose to participate in the second ceremony, and I was the only one who chose not to drink. Brandon seemed nervous about that decision. He suggested I drink a half dose, but I refused, entering the ceremonial lodge with the clear intention to be in full presence with the Icaros, whatever form that took. As we gathered and knelt on our mats, Roger approached, knelt in front of me, and gave me a bit of a lecture. Christian says, you must maintain your meditation the entire ceremony. You cannot weaken. You have to hold yourself in full concentration the whole time. I nodded, but I have to admit, his admonition scared the hell out of me. To sit in peak meditation for 10 hours was not something I'd ever attempted before. It seemed like a really bad time to like give it a go, but the candles were lit, the glasses were poured, there was no turning back. As the women on either side of me drank, I held my hands over my heart, closed my eyes and cleared my mind. It only took the first note of Christian's Icaros to quickly send me into a full emotional purge, weeping and hallucinating, completely in an altered state. Standing in front of me were two women, my biological and adoptive mothers. I watched my biological mother die, sitting in her chair, alone, feeling abandoned, deep in grief. I saw my adoptive mother in her nursing home bed, choke and die in her sleep. Their deaths were lonely affairs. I wept with guilt and grief, wishing there'd been time to mend our estrangements. I felt a deep fear that someday I would share their fate. Then my mothers were gone, and standing in front of me was my adoptive father. I was unhappy to see him. I felt myself tense, but he was apologizing, stepping closer and closer, begging for my forgiveness. I made the choice to soften my heart, and just as I bowed my head to accept his apology, I felt a draining tug at my soul, as if an evil presence was leeching off my healing for its own benefit to gain power. I screamed and felt a strong whoosh of air tornado around me. One of the curanderos was fanning me with his chicapa, my hair flying in all directions as he loudly sang in my left ear, blasting the toxic spirit with his Icaros, 
until the thing let me loose. I actually felt the connection sever. I was so grateful and relieved, I opened my eyes to bow to my shaman. That's when I realized he was not standing beside me at all. He was still in his seat several feet away. Huh? Now remember, I was sober. I hadn't had a sip of Aya. And maybe it can be argued that the medicine was still in my system and got reactivated by the environment, but I can only tell you what I physically felt and saw and experienced as real. An evil presence, posing as my apologetic father, was sucking my soul out of my body. And the curanderos singing in my left ear and blasting me with the wind from his chacapa, strong enough to move my hair, was not actually standing anywhere near me. He was sitting calmly in his chair, singing. It, it was too much to process. I, w- I was exhausted. I lay back on my mat and went into a deep trance that felt like a coma, mentally aware, but physically anesthetized. I felt the women beside me fall into the same state. We were under the knife, having psychic surgery, the Icaros weaving through us like a surgeon's needle and thread, energetic realignment. I was in capable, safe hands. I drifted off to sleep. When I woke, I woke in pure confusion. There were people asleep beside me. There were different people kneeling in front of the curanderos. There was a totally new ceremony happening, a blessing of the facilitators. My brain struggled to place my body in space and time. What day was it? Had I slept through two nights? What what was going on? Wolf saw me sit up and walked over. Are you okay? I stared at him, still deeply confused. Where am I? I asked. Meaning, what is my place in this universe? Who am I now without my husband, without my career, without the future I imagined, without a plan, without the motivation even to make a plan? without goals, without a step-by-step outline, without some sense of control, without a vision, without dreams. Where the fuck am I? Wolf just smiled and gently said, Peru. I was definitely in Peru. That much I knew. Everything else was up for grabs.